Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and I'll be your host. What I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes, luminaries from the sports science community, and as come to be expected, I'll also provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sport and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. So sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Today, I have Josh Strider. Josh is another Canadian. He's one of the other Canadians. Certified Holistic Nutrition Consultant and has just, well, I think just, released a book. And the title of that book, help me, Josh. Title of the uh, book. Nutrition for the OCR Athlete. I love it. What a great idea. You know, as we were discussing earlier, OCR is in bad need of a makeover when it comes to their feeding strategies. And so this, I just got a chance to read this book. I'm on page with most all of it. Good stuff. Let's talk about this, Josh. Yeah. Yeah, so basically the reason why I decided to come up with this book is uh, I noticed, you know, a lot of people that you've had on your podcast and uh, some of the other OCR podcasts out there, it's all great information, but nobody has really come together to create, like, a consensus of what we can uh, what we can practice, you know, for this sport. Obstacle horse racing, of course, it is more of an endurance sport, so you're going to have to lean more towards you know, endurance-based uh, nutrition planning. However, the big difference that I found, and I did a lot of research on this over Christmas, I just basically said, you know, screw you to social media and, and just put my head into the books. Uh, but the biggest difference is, although it's an endurance event, there's a lot of, like, intermittent bursts of activity spread throughout. And one thing you have to realize is, is when you're doing that, so when your heart rate is jumping up and down, you're depleting a lot of glycogen from your body and probably at a faster rate than you would with an endurance sport. And another thing that I found is um, the amount of protein breakdown, so the amount of muscle breakdown you get from an OCR race is going to be a lot higher than, say, like a marathon. So in a marathon, you know, protein recommendations are, are going to be quite lower than, than an OCR athlete. So that's something that, uh, that I felt I had to address as well. So what is your recommendation for protein relative to mass um, for an OCR athlete? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it kind of varies depending on the person. Some people, um, you know, put on muscle very easily or some people struggle. But my general recommendation, you know, for an endurance athlete, um, an OCR endurance athlete, I, would, I wouldn't I would go any lower than 0.5 grams per pound of body weight. And I would say uh, even closer to 0.75, you know, if you're getting into uh, like Spartan Race, for example, which involves lots of heavy carries. Uh, in the off season, you know, uh, it's, sometimes it's hard when a um, when a competitor comes out of the off seasons. They're used to eating, you know, more carbohydrates and stuff like that. Then all of a sudden they come out. They're eating lots of carbohydrates. They're not doing as much aerobic training. And they start putting on weight. So, you know, as you come out of the season, you know, maybe one gram per pound per pound of body weight. Okay, I was just going to ask you that whether you're referring to a pound or a kilo of body weight. Pound. Okay, I saw some research some time back where they did some research on a bunch of power lifters and were trying to determine what the ideal protein requirement might be for guys that are lifting really, really heavy weight. 
and they were talking in words of a little bit about a, a 1.5 grams per kilo of body weight on the high end, which I think is going to be surprising to most people. They don't realize that, well, I'm going to let you share this information, obviously enough, but I'm intrigued by it. But um, the protein requirement for athletes is much lower than people would like to believe. Yeah, for sure. The big thing you want to realize about protein, too, is it's very metabolically demanding. So I have a lot of weight loss clients, and I generally get them on a, you know, a higher protein diet initially. And that has a tendency to spark weight change just because, you know, it takes more energy to digest protein. And plus, protein um, can make you more satiated by releasing leptin and so on and so on. Um, when it comes to an athlete, though, if you're an OCR athlete and you're having, you know, you know, one gram per pound of body weight in season, what you're going to find is that that's going to basically be an energy leak from, uh, from your system, and, and you're going to have less energy, you know, to put in that, that effort that you need to put in for, you know, intervals or running up and down hills. So, so you want to kind of monitor your protein intake because one thing is, is sure is you're only going to absorb so much, and any excess is just going to be waste, and it's just going to be more taxing on the body. Right. Obviously enough, and I know you touched on it in your book, this whole concept of fat adapting for this sport in particular is not the greatest idea in the world. Want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I've been a personal trainer for almost 10 years now. About three years ago, I started focusing more on nutrition because, you know, I felt that, um, that you know, my training clients really needed that, and I was really good at educating people on it. So, uh you know, coming from that background, I hung out with a lot of trainers that, you know, kind of buy into like all these new theories and stuff like that. And I, I mean, it's great, but at the same time, uh, when it comes to an endurance sport, what they found over and over again through research is, you know, anything over 65% VO2 max, you know, the preferred source of fuel is going to be glycogen and you're just not going to get the same power output from, uh, from ketones. So now there may be some benefits in that if you're doing like, you know, a longer race, but even, you know, looking at the Tough Mudder, we, uh, you know, we analyzed Austin's diet in there in the book and Austin ran 100 miles. Austin was eating a lot of carbohydrates and there were basically quick sources of sugar. His diet leading up to the race was a lot more whole, but as he got closer to the race, it was a lot more sugar. And the problem that I see with, uh, you know, people buying into all these theories and stuff like that is uh, they get themselves into a race and they just bonk and you say okay yeah i have an extra gel i'm going to take the gel but the thing is if you haven't practiced that in training then it's not going to have the same effect in a race so one thing that they know for sure through the research is that you have to practice this stuff in training you can't uh you know do it in the race or race day because you're going to uh you're going to run into trouble um, you know uh, while you're on that subject the i was reading how many gels he was eating over the course of that that uh, 28 hours, there's a lot of gels, and gels are yeah. definitely going to work your GI tract. And I've seen oh, yeah. it, I've seen it happen many, many times where people get to this place where they find out that in fact they're glycogen depleted, and then they try to patch the leak by slapping down a bunch of this goo. Next thing you know, they're looking for porta potties. It's yeah. it's a bad idea. You need to try to patch those leaks on the fly as you're going. I was looking at your recommendations for carbohydrate replacement during an event. Forgive me if I didn't didn't catch it, but I've generally told people that a, a carbohydrate solution, about four ounces every 15 minutes on a long day, 
works out pretty well. And a gel, maybe, depending on how big you are, maybe every hour if you're going long. Uh, yeah. And the intensity is fairly high. So somebody trying to PR in a marathon, I like them to get a, a couple couple of gels over the course of a race with uh, that solution bled in every 15 minutes or so. What do you think? Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a good recommendation, but it really depends on the person as well. Now, um, you know, for something that's ultra event, you can go upwards of like, you know, requirement of 150 grams of carbohydrates, which is quite high. Um, Austin did a mix. So he did, you know, I think he had five gels, but then he had a mixture of all different other types of foods. So, so you definitely do want to get a mixture of the type of carbohydrates you're getting in. Uh, one thing is for sure as well, if you're not getting water in, then sometimes these gels will sit in your stomach and actually, you know, absorb water from, from within to be digested. So you want to be really careful with that. You want to have a bit of a variety of stuff. I just, I'm more apt towards gels, uh, just because I, I think they're easier. And, you know, if you're looking at like cyclists, which a lot of research has been done on, is um, a cyclist, they're on a bike, so they're sitting, and they don't get that, you know, like bouncing up and down of their, of their stomach and their intestines. Whereas an OCR athlete, there's a lot of bouncing around, like, and there's a lot of going up hills, going down hills. Like, uh, I know sometimes when we trail run, you know, if we have, like, you know, for example, trail mix before you trail run, that's, uh, that's bad news because that stuff just bounces around in your GI tract, and, and you have a bad stomach uh, when you're done. Um, when I first started out, I was more kind of like, and, and Faye mentioned this when she was on the podcast with you, I was more into kind of like the paleo type style eating. And then I got into these races and I just like, I would get so far and then I would bonk, right? Just because I wouldn't, uh, my body wasn't used to uptaking so much carbohydrates. But when it really hit home, going back to Austin again, we were at uh, Sun Peaks East last year here in uh, Canada, BC, and um I was doing really well. I got to the top of the hill first. It's pretty much you go right to the top of the ski hill and then you come down. So I got there in first place and um, actually second place. We had a mountain runner with us in that race. But anyways, uh, we came back down the hill and then we came back up and there's Austin just flew past me. And I was just like, what the hell? This is like two hours into the race. And I just started going down and down. And then uh, one of our other friends, he ended up passing me as well. And I finished that race in fourth and I'm just like, yeah, I need to start having more gels. I had one gel the whole race. It was a three-hour race, and it was just completely stupid. Whereas this year at the Sun Peaks Feast, I had three gels, and I, you know, I made it right to the very end, and I started to cramp a little bit at the end, but it was a pretty aggressive course. But, you know, I, I just saw that um, I, I needed to fix my strategy, and, and it, it definitely paid off. I mean, the training paid off, but also training with more carbohydrates was, was the biggest factor. One of the things that I liked about what you offered up in your book is the need to address your feeding leading up to an event as opposed to trying to make something magical happen the morning of the event, yeah. where, where you want to make sure you get your glycogen stores completely repleted and actually get to a place where you're loading a bit over the course of the week leading into a taper or um, you know, just a few days before your race. You want to touch on that a little bit? 
Yeah, so one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, the replenishment of muscle glycogen takes about 24 hours. So some people say, well, should I eat more one day? Should I eat uh, less the other? And, and the answer is no. If you're, you know, on a, uh, a program and you're running, you know, a certain mileage each week, in order to replenish that muscle glycogen, you're going to have to be eating consistently around the, mean, the same amount of carbohydrates each day. And um, if you go into a race, and some people you know, they have a tendency, like, before the race, to eat almost too clean because they're worried, but their clean is, like, you know, less carbs. So, you know, they'll avoid breads, they'll avoid certain things, um, and then as a result, they get to the race, and, you know, if, if, you know, they're supposed to have 500 grams of stored glycogen in their body, you know, they may have 400 or 300, and your goal in especially any long race is to preserve that muscle glycogen as long as you can, as the longer you preserve it, the harder you're going to be able to push and keep yourself, you know, above that, you know, 65% VO2 max. Yeah. If I might just kind of throw this in here, it's going to sound like a commercial, and it kind of is. <laughs> Probably picked up somewhere along the way that I'm out on the road doing these clinics. Yep. And one of the principal things that we've been doing at these clinics is doing uh, resting metabolic assessments through direct gas analysis. Yep. Before I get onto that rant, might I say that we're going to be in Kansas City on April 1st, God willing, and if the creek don't rise. And for those of those people in that area that are waiting, sitting on their hands, wondering whether they're going to get in there the last minute, the last minute's going to be at the end of this week. The 20th of this month is the deadline before the price increases by 20%. So those of you guys that are thinking about it, this is time to get it done. But what I was going to say is this resting metabolic assessment, I'm fascinated by that information because I find that most people that I've tested have no idea how many calories they should get, where they should come from, and how efficiently their body is using the energy that they do consume. And talk about a wake-up call. When you find out that you need to really be eating upwards of 5,000 calories a day, when you come to find out that the way your body is using energy is depleting your sugar, your glycogen and, and glucose stores, while you're sleeping, you wake up with half a tank and then go into your day. That is a hellbound train. Any thoughts on that theory? Yeah, no, I, I heard about the testing you do, and I totally uh, think, it's, think it's good and accurate. Anything where you can get, like, you know, a direct measurement like you're doing is going to give you a more accurate picture because, you know, calorie estimates are can be off, and, and they're especially off on, like, activity trackers and everything like that. So what I find is works best for people is, well, in my book here, I created a multiplier formula for, um, for somebody who wants to calculate their macros, but I also created a way that people can portion the food so if they want to measure their foods. It really comes down to, you know, getting some level of base, you know, tracking for a period of time and, and seeing where you feel best and seeing where you need to make the adjustments. And, I mean, that's why it's always good to have a coach and stuff as well because they can help, you know, coach you to, um, you know, point you in the right direction. The way we do it, a very similar method, but what we do is we begin with the resting test. And the resting test is going to give us essentially how many calories the body would require if nothing is done, no activity for 24 hours. And then we table that information, and then we do the VO2 test. And then we get a sense of what the caloric demand is relative to pace and intensity. 
So, for example, at 150 beats per minute, a guy is burning, say, six, 700 calories, and then where those calories are coming from, whether they're being drawn from sugar stores or fat or what percentage of each, and then we look at how the caloric uh, breakdown was during the resting test. So let's just say that you're depleting 50% of your sugar stores at rest, and I've seen that happen. I've seen worse, as a matter of fact. We start getting a sense of what the calorie demands might be, and then we start looking at what the carbohydrate demands are uh, relative to fat. But I can tell you that I, I'm with you. I looked at w what your, your ratios were, and tell me if I'm wrong, but you're about 60-20-20 on average, 60% uh, carbs, 20% fat, 20% protein. Yeah, for the most part, it really depends. Like, I also talk about, you know, body type as well. So somebody who's ectomorphic, you know, just, um, you know, just smaller boned in nature, they're probably going to want a little bit more carbohydrates. And that's, I'm kind of in that situation as well. If I, you know, lack carbohydrates, my energy levels basically go down. Whereas somebody who's a more endomorphic, so a little bit rounder, you might actually want to be at the lower end, even as like an OCR athlete, you know, probably even closer to 50%. So that really comes down to kind of testing that out on yourself and seeing what works best for you. Um, another thing is as well is uh, there's some research to say that females may be a bit better at utilizing fat stores. So in that case, maybe they don't need as much carbohydrate as, say, as, as a male counterpart. Once again, it comes down to individual bases, and you always want to practice this stuff first in training and not at a race, right. which most, most of the time is what happens. Well, the other thing to consider, too, when you start talking about percentages, if you deviate by 10% of your total daily caloric intake, it doesn't mean that much over the course of your meals. No. And a lot of people get confused with that. It sounds like such a harsh amount of food, but if you really look at it, if you're if you're taking, uh, oh, I'm terrible with math, but let's just say hypothetically that you were taking a thousand calories of carbohydrate in a day, and you af affect the total carbohydrate intake by even 20 percent, and if you broke that up over the course of five meals, it doesn't have that big of an influence over the over the big picture, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, the thing is, is about carbohydrates is like whenever you eat carbohydrates, the chances of your body absorbing a lot of that is pretty high. Whereas, uh, you know, say, for example, if you had, you know, 50 grams of protein in one meal, well, that 50 grams of protein, you're probably not going to absorb all of that. But if I gave you 50 grams, 100, 150 grams of carbohydrates, your body is just going to suck that up. And some people more than others are going to have more likelihood of turning that to triglycerides fat. Whereas, uh, you know, someone who's more ectomorphic like me is going to more likely burn that off uh, a lot easier and, and have a lot harder time actually putting fat on my body. Mm. And I, uh, I liked how you actually categorized supplementation. Um, first off as being what would be essential. And then you, you created a category called secondary. And you want to touch on that just a little bit? Yeah, so where I get most of my supplement research from is, is a site called examine.com. So I actually got a lot of my information from the book from their, uh, from their digest that they put out every month. So basically what these guys have done um, is they've taken all the research that they can find for a particular um, supplement, and they tell you, you know, if it's, if it's good or not. So, you know, for example, like a lot of, you know, popular weight loss supplements, 
that, you know, have been promoted on different TV shows and stuff like that. If you look at examine.com, they'll show you, like, you know, how, you know, the research is essentially rubbish. So they've broken everything down, and, and you know, the, the ones that I pick, these are the ones that are definitely going to benefit the OCR athlete, omega-3s for their anti-inflammatory properties, uh, not to mention that, you know, DHA, which is part of omega-3, makes up, you know, upwards of 30% of your brain, so it's really important for brain health and cognition. Uh, vitamin D, that helps you absorb calcium. Every time your muscle contracts, you use calcium, so, of course, in an OCR race, you're just going to be blowing through lots of calcium. Uh, and that also helps with recovery. Uh, magnesium, magnesium is something that is can be quite low in our food. It's just based on the fact uh, that there may not be a lot in the soil uh, that our vegetables are coming from, or the vegetables are not staying in the ground long enough. I mean, in California, you probably got you know riper vegetables and fruits than us, but you know by the time fruit and vegetables make it to Canada, it's you know it's been pulled out of the ground way too early, and it just doesn't uptake uh, uptake all the nutrients. Um, and then the other one is nitrates. Now, I was kind of like a little bit wary on the whole, you know, beet thing when it first came out. I'm like, you know, this is a, sounds like a reason to uh, sell more supplements. But uh, they've just been researching the hell out of this. Um, I don't know how many references I actually have in there, but uh, if you want to find more, you can go on theexamine.com and take a look. But um, outside of, you know, it being an effective supplement in terms of aerobic performance and helping with the mitochondria. One thing that they found recently, which I thought was really interesting, is that it could, um, an intermittent burst of activity, it can actually, um, it actually can keep your reaction time. So, you know, a lot of times that's even, you know, for example, you know, you're two hours into a Spartan race and you throw away a spear and it just, you know, goes way off course and you haven't done that in training well that's just based on the fact that you know you push your body to a certain level and your reaction time is is not as good so that's one thing that they actually found with beets that that may have a benefit now i mean it needs to be researched a little bit more but uh but for now we can assume that um you know a beetroot supplement or a nitrate supplement in general it doesn't actually have a beetroot beetroot is not the highest source of nitrates but it's uh but it's, it's palatable so that's going to be uh really important in terms of the uh, in terms of the rest of the supplementation, this is stuff that can increase uh, performance, but it's not kind of like the be all end all. So, you know, for example, creatine. Should an OCR athlete take creatine? More in my opinion, yes, just based on the fact that it gives you like you know 10 second burst of energy anytime you run up a hill or you know you uh, pick something up. Uh, it's not going to last, so it, it will be gone in you know about 10 seconds, but you know, a few minutes later, it's going to replenish itself and you're going to get that extra supply again. Now, in order to get enough creatine in your system without supplementation, you basically would have, would have to eat like, a, you know, like a 20-ounce steak every night. And if you did that, there's also going to be other health implications that you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, so I just try to kind of break it down uh, for people and just, you know, make sure, you know, you're getting your money's worth and you're not wasting any money because there's a lot of, like, uh, shaky kind of research out there. So you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're getting the right stuff. I've been messing with the the, the beet products. Uh, I've been taking the beet elite. I've been very fortunate in they They've been so kind as to send me a supply. They've been keeping me on the stuff for a while. The uh, exercise scientist behind it is Dr. John Ivey, and I've had him on the show before. Nice, nice guy, very, very sharp, and he's worked with and co-authored a few books with a Dr. Robert Portman. 
and I don't know if you know who he is, but he is the founder of Pacific Health Labs. They make Accelerade and they make Endorox. Are you familiar with Endorox? Uh, no. Endorox is a post-workout recovery beverage. It's probably one of the oldest ones on the market, and it's a good one. And what's interesting, and and again, I, I've been fortunate and I've had a chance to shoulder up with a lot of these folks that are coming up with a lot of different products, and I and I try them all. I mean, when it comes to energy replacement during an event or post-event, I think it's important. And it's funny how you go to all these different camps and they have so many different opinions about what you need or what you don't need and what they leave out and why they leave it out. But anyway, getting back to Portman and Ivy, they wrote a book called Nutrient Timing and another one called Hardwired for Fitness. If you ever get a chance, you should pick those up. They're really interesting in respect to how the body will receive protein and the timing, nutrient timing through the course of the day, how your body will look for or require uh, different substrates based on the time of day or the circadian cycle. Um, But anyway, I'm off point here a little bit. But um, I guess the global thing here and one of the reasons that I was interested in getting you on is because I found that there's just really a hole in the program when it comes to feeding in this particular community of athletes. They don't seem to get it, and then there's a lot of bad information out there. Forget about whether there's no information. I think there's more bad information than there is no information. What's your thoughts? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Going back to the supplements and stuff like that, like one thing I'll say is, like, you know, when you're looking for supplements, um, you know, make sure that they're they're good quality. You're just not buying them from, like, you know, some, some big chain store. Um, and, and watch out for formulas. So like with the beat elite and, and stuff like that, you know, that's just one thing in there. So generally when you see something, when it's just like one thing, that's a lot better. Whereas a lot of companies that are a lot of this bad information you're telling about will have like a formula that has like 10 different things in it. And each time you try to cram 10 different things into a supplement, what you're going to find is you're going to have a very ineffective dosage of that supplement and you're basically, you're just wasting your money, but they put it there because it's marketable. Someone looks at the thing and says, Ooh, this has turmeric. This has, you know, omega threes. This has magnesium in it. This has so on and so on. Well, the, the truth is that is that doesn't have a, a lot in it. Um, one thing in terms of other bad information that I find that comes from this is like a lot of, uh, you know, people that get really fired up with OCR. Um, initially, I mean, we are getting more endurance athletes and stuff pop in, but, I mean, I come from this background as well, is you get a lot of, you know, CrossFitters or, you know, people that work out in the gym, and that's a bit of a different fueling strategy, and we come into this, and we just assume that we can get away with, you know, the same type of nutrition that gets us through, like, you know, a 20-minute AMRAP for CrossFit or, you know, weight training workout, and and that's not the case, right? So we really have to, um, we really have to change the the way that we eat. One thing um, that I noticed was, when I before I started coaching people for sports nutrition, because that's mostly, you know, training to do weight loss and stuff like that, is I actually hired a dietitian myself. So I worked with her for three months, and I said, you know, before I can coach somebody else, I gotta get coached myself. And she got me eating like more carbohydrates, like upwards to like sixty percent. And they were just like kind of sitting in my stomach, and they just were not digesting well. Like I just didn't feel great. And I told her about it. And she said, well, you should try a low FODMAP food. So are you familiar with low FODMAP food? 
Sure. Yeah, so low FODMAP foods, and this is pretty common these days. You're getting a lot of digestive issues and everything with people, and, um, and especially with a lot of processed carbohydrates. So what low FODMAP is, because I, I used to have really bad IBS, is uh, foods that don't ferment as easily in the, uh, in the stomach. So that's kind of the issue that I was having. My, the foods were fermenting, they weren't digesting properly, and they're causing indigestion and stuff like that. So what I started doing was I started having more, more of those foods. So they're going to be things like, you know, just basic carbohydrates like oats and rice and stuff like that and avoiding like the really complex sugars that you're going to find in like beans and legumes and, and, and other carbs or, or even like onions and garlic. Onions and garlic are a high FODMAP food and that sucks because onions and garlic taste uh, really good. But at the same time, you can still have that stuff. You just need to make sure you actually take out the the onions and garlic after you're done cooking. So as long as you take it out, then the FODMAP is, is not in there. Whereas if um, you have like an onion or garlic powder, it's basically crushed onions and garlic and you're going to get the, the FODMAP-based food. Another thing that I found that helped me with getting more carbohydrates in my diet and improving my performance was um, preparing my carbs better. So in terms of breads, going more for like a spread grain bread or like a brown sourdough that's already been kind of broken down, a lot easier to digest. Uh, and then um, in terms of rice, so like my rice, I'll put in water the night before and I'll put a little bit of an acid in there, so like apple cider vinegar or lemon. And that just kind of helps break it down a little bit. And then when I cook it the next day, um, you can digest it a lot easier and you really do notice a difference. So once I figured out how to do that, um, yeah, like I was, my performance uh, went up quite a bit and, uh, you know, I could actually uh, keep up to, uh, keep up with Faye a little bit more than when I was, uh, you know, not eating as many carbs or I was just eating the carbs that weren't agreeing with my system. So Faye and I, so we chatted a week ago, I think. Yeah. And uh, she w- she made it sound like she was dragging you outside to run. I don't get that picture from you. Let's get it, <laughs> <laughs> let's get it squared up for the well, record. Well, I mean, there's there's like uh, what people consider normal exercise, and then there's you know what Faye considers normal exercise. And for the average person, that's uh, the intensity level is pretty high. So coming from a uh, you know a CrossFit background, I did martial arts all my life. I was never uh, really an endurance athlete. I mean, the most I would go is for like 30 minutes straight, and then uh, that would be it. So you know, changing my body to like be an endurance athlete has been like a it was a bit of a struggle in the beginning. I've only been running for five years. And uh, when I first met Faye, like, she just ran <laughs> to the ground. And I just wasn't supporting my, my diet with uh, with enough carbohydrates and enough uh, nutrients and, and stuff like that. And when I started doing that, that, that made a big difference. But, yeah, no, she uh, <laughs> she keeps me in shape. I don't know uh, I don't know what would happen if uh, I didn't have her uh, dragging me out and, and getting me running faster. So what made you move towards... Uh OCR and come away from the CrossFit mentality? Um, I just, well, like, I've always had, like, a bit of a competitive side, and uh, I found, you know, it's fun with CrossFit, but at the same time, it's just, like, there are limitations. Like, you know, the CrossFit athletes now are just massive, and, you know, the prescribed weights are, are you know, just not, uh, just not what I want to get into because, you know, I've gotten some injuries and stuff in the past, and it's just due to, you know, lifting too much weight and and too many times. And um, I, I've always, you know, been a bit of a monkey and stuff like that. You know, I grew up on a playground. And uh, when off-season course racing came out, I mean, I just, I wanted to do it. And, I mean, I wasn't fast at the time, but I had fun doing the obstacles. And then, um, you know, I, I 
I basically dragged Faye into it, and Faye thought it was uh, kind of dumb and dorky and stuff in the beginning. And she started, you know, winning and winning races and stuff like that. And, you know, we had some pretty amazing weekends away, you know, traveling somewhere and just doing races and meeting people and stuff like that. And we both kind of fell in love with it. And then uh, what kept us there was, you know, just the community, the community of people that you, uh, that you meet along the way. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, it's a ton of fun. I'm, I'm more of a voyeur at my point in life, but I, I enjoy it. I, I love uh, – I, I, I tell people all the time that – OCR athletes to me are like a Rubik's cube. Mm. It gives me something to to mess with because it's not so standard. Like working with a runner or a triathlete, these are kind of standard operating procedures where all these variations in terrains and distances and intensities and it's just kind of fun to deal with all these uh, twists and turns. So yeah, and fun OCR athletes are kind of like the cool kids of the interns world. So, uh, you know, when you go to, like, some road races and stuff like that, some people are just way too uptight, and, you know, yeah. if they don't split, they're just freaking out and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. you know, it's good to have goals, but, you know, OCR is so chill. Like, I mean, yeah. you take Hunter, Hunter, for example. I mean, he's, like, such a such a big joker and likes to have fun, but, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, he, he dials it in. The dude can throw down. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, man. Uh, I've been around athletes all my life, and he, he's he's a tough one. He is, yeah. All right, so let's do some takeaway for folks. If someone was to ask you, let me give you a scenario. Let's just say that I'm a 175-pound athlete, and I like to race primarily Spartan, super distance, sometimes a beast, lots of sprint. How should I be feeding commonly? What What are the... The, the primary concerns that I should have and the things that I should really avoid? Uh, well, the biggest thing is, is like, you know, just practicing your race nutrition before the race, as I mentioned earlier. So, like, when you're going out on your long runs, um, you don't want to be taking gels, like, every half hour. But, you know, play around with it. See if you can get away, you know, if you're doing a lot, you know, two-hour long run. See if you can get away waiting, like, an hour to have a gel. But if your performance really starts to decline, then you're going to want to, had that earlier so so basically just you know within your training especially your long runs that are going to be closer to your actual super distance that's your time to play around now in terms of the diet um i mean it's important to eat clean but at the same time it's like you know you want to you know there should be foods in your diet that you enjoy and there should be foods in your in your diet that you know you just kind of have like so for example the day uh you know or, or any day i usually will have a salad and i don't fancy out my salad or anything like that it's usually just greens some veggies and olive oil and and some apple cider vinegar so I mean that's that's not a meal that I'm like oh my god I can't wait to have that but you know I'm disciplined enough to know that yeah I'm going to have that but then on the other end I'm going to have stuff like I had a curry today and, and rice so I mean that's something I more look forward to so you know just find a diet that that works best for you and and I hate to say diet because it's not really a diet but Find a way of eating that, you know, you know, you get some things that you like, but you also have some things in there. You know, it's just discipline and it's just, uh, and it's just good practice. If you have weight to lose, I mean, you're probably going to want to go a little bit higher protein in the beginning just to get your weight down. And then as you start getting your weight down in order to prepare for your races, then that's when you start bumping up your, uh, bumping up your carbohydrates. So it really depends. It's pretty complicated. I tried to lay out, like, the best formula possible for uh, – 
for somebody who just wants to coach themselves into the book. But if they want to do, uh, you know, more specific nutrition coaching, then I offer that through uh, through my website at uh, strideocr.com. All right. So the the title of the book again is Nutrition for the OCR Athlete, laying out the details and strategies to help remove the guesswork from your diet by Josh Stride. Josh, I want your last name. I would think that that would be a good last name for me. <laughs> you know? Richard Stride. Yeah. Yeah. Or Strider. Yeah. How about yeah, that? Yeah, I, I was pretty fortunate when I got it. So my um, my family's from, uh, from Newfoundland, and um, when I was growing up, I always thought it was kind of a bizarre name. I've never really heard it before, but then as I got older, I started to appreciate it a lot more. And um, there's very few S-T-R-Y-D-E's in the world. Uh, our family originally comes from England, and it's S-T-R-I-D-E. So when they came over, something got mixed up, or somebody decided to change it. So my name is pretty unique. Probably uh, running from the law, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so now now that I'm born in endurance sports, I, the name kind of fits. So I'm like, yeah, this is, this is good. <laughs> now, well, once more... First of all, you're going to offer a bit of a, a break on the purchase of this book for those that are listening. You had mentioned to me earlier how that comes about, and remind them one more time how to find the book, please. Yeah, so they can find the book off my Instagram page. It's in the um, it's it's on the website there. So it's uh, once you go in there, there's uh, buy now or below that it's. Uh, share and save so you save 25% and just basically what you do is you just share it to Facebook and then you get a 25% discount so that would be the best way to go about it. My Instagram is stride, S-T-R-Y-D-E underscore O-C-R Okay, cool. Now you said that you were, I don't know if this is something we're going to discuss or not, but you're, you're on your way to Mexico, you and Faye are going to take a little break? Yeah, yeah we try to try to get away every February and kind of you know chill before the season starts her season started a little bit early last year, but she's uh, she's going to wait till April. So we're going to do her first race uh, in your neck of the woods down in San Jose. Yeah, that's what I understand. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, well, if you guys get down this way, look me up. Yeah, I'd love to. I'm, a, I'm, actually a, I'm actually a client you didn't know you had. I, I listen to pretty much all your podcasts, and I follow the, you know, 180 minus your age, and I've worked on my run cadence and my – running form and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, thanks for all that information. It's helped. Well, I appreciate that. I, I love when I hear that. And it's, it's interesting how this podcast world has it's grown. Now it seems like everybody and their brother has a podcast. And I'm kind of the dinosaur in it now. I've been at it for longer than I think most anybody. And, and uh, a lot of people have listened. I, th- I think the, the record now here is about 1.3 million downloads oh, wow. since we got started. So it's been a lot of folks. But... Josh, I appreciate having you on. I appreciate the information. I have had the opportunity to go through the book, and I think it's pretty solid. There's nothing here that I I would bark about, and I, I'm, I'm sure you're waiting for me to give you some crap, but I didn't. <laughs> I was wondering. I was wondering if there was something that you're going to bring up. No, no, I like it. I like it. I think that it, it makes perfect sense. And you know the, the the problem I you know not to kick a dead horse, but the problem that I see is that people are always trying to find that special little trick, you know? Yeah, smoking gun. Yeah, if you just slow down and make sure that you're getting fed properly, don't Mm. shy away from much of anything, you know? Just make sure you're getting what you need. 
And a lot of times your body will tell you what you need. And, yeah. And as soon as you start uh, subtracting things from your diet, pulling things out of your life, you start finding the deficit. And you might find out that you spent five or six weeks struggling with a theory that was a bad idea, and then you had to spend five or six weeks trying to get back to where you belong. For sure, and uh, and I'll, I'll leave you at this point as well. I taught a class there on Friday, and I was, you know, telling uh, these young trainers they're like 19, 20 years old. Um, you know, when my parents grew up, where they grew up, they didn't have much selection of food, so they literally grew up on codfish, potatoes, carrots, and hard bread, and maybe say throw butter in there. And and you know, they looked at me with like I had three heads, and I said, and they told me they got fruit for Christmas. <laughs> they literally got fruit once a year. But we live in a society right now where you can get food from every pocket of the world and you can have it within, you know, two days. If you grew some oranges in your backyard down in California, you could send that up to me. So that's a good and a bad thing. So, you know, used properly and, and eating a lot of whole food and stuff like that. I mean, you can, you can create some pretty phenomenal athletes just at the valuability of food, but used incorrectly and having lots of processed food or foods that, you know, haven't been ripened properly, for example, or just come from bad soil then uh, you can cause yourself a lot of, um, you know, a, you can cause yourself a, basically a big energy loop because it's got to deal with all this, you know, nutrient, uh, lack of nutrients in the food and, you know, has to make it up somewhere else. So, uh, so yeah, we, we, live in a, we live in a great time, but we also live in a very challenging time. Yes, we do. All right, Josh, listen, uh, you guys enjoy Mexico, and uh, tell Faye best of luck in San Jose, and hopefully we'll get a chance to meet up soon. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.